and welcome to Geek Actually, episode 17. Man down! Man down! Man down! <laughs> I'm Dave McVeigh, and we do not have a David Longo in the studio today. He's he caught is, the plague. He's caught the plague that we've all been suffering from, and which I'm still suffering from a little bit. Um, but I am joined by Jamie Lawrence. How are you, Jamie? I am fantastic. Who is sitting in front of Dave's microphone. Dave, don't get jealous. <laughs> oh, I've been waiting for this chance. <laughs> oh, dearie me. So this is the Geek Actually podcast, the podcast about everything and nothing but filtered through the geek uh, perspective, which is, of course, our perspective because we're the geeks. So I have actually had people say, some of those stories you say aren't very geeky. It's like, well, yeah, but they interested me. I'm a geek, so that makes them geeky. That's, yeah. that's the way it works, you know? So I'm a geek. I experienced them. That's right. That's damn it. straight. <laughs> All right. So this week, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the geek news that's crossed our desks throughout the uh, throughout the week. We're going to talk a little bit about film news. We're also going to review Straight Outta Compton, which is coming up uh, in the second half of the show, which I'm really eager to get to. So we're probably going to fly through some of this news just so we can get to Compton because, man... Uh, just to like bury the lead a little bit, I really enjoyed that. Such film. a good film, <laughs> really enjoyed it. So we'll uh, we'll come back to that in uh, in a little bit, just to, for the end. And look, we probably will be doing a few spoilers on it, but it's spoilers for real life, so it's not really spoiling it. Yeah, you, know? you can so- you can go read this stuff. It's all out there. Pause and the podcast now. Go check out Wikipedia. Come back. Although, if you do that, you're actually going to find out that there are discrepancies with the film. But we'll come back. <laughs> we'll do that because I have actually looked at that and uh, I found that. Film is not real life, Dave? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jamie, what's, what's, uh, what's been up this week before we move into the show proper? Anything, uh, anything happening? Oh, look. Same old, same old. You run a game store, you go to the game store, you open the game store, you play what games. What game store would that be, Jamie? Oh, Good Games Hurstville. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, hey, yes, we are endorsing it. <laughs> I hope so. We sponsor you. But <laughs> no, it's just we always mention things that we go, but we're not actually endorsed by them. We are endorsing this one. <laughs> but no, look, it's, it's, been, uh, look, it's been a pretty geeky week. Let's, um, let's start with what we've been reading and watching. And since Fair. nobody ever asks you this. I can't watch this. I can't watch this. I can't watch this. I can't watch this. My, 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 my TV makes me so bored, makes me say, oh my lord, what is this garbage here? Wanna cover my eyes and blood my ears? Well, I don't know if I'd call it garbage, but <laughs> it's always so it's always such a race to get back to the microphone after doing the dance. Yeah, you know? well exactly. I mean I'm dancing over here, you know. Um So uh, what have you been reading and watching this week, David? I haven't actually been reading very much this week. I'm still working my way. Whenever I've got a spare moment, uh, I'm reading my way through the com- the collected Bloom County, which was the 10 years of Bloom County. So I'm still getting my way through that. I've also started reading uh, Iron Fist, the Matt Frankson run oh, yeah. of Iron Fist, which I'm really enjoying. I'm not very far into it, but I have actually started reading that finally. It's one of my personal favorites. sitting right here, you'll notice. I've been taking it on the train with me when I go to work. Mm-hmm. Um as far as watching is concerned, it was an interesting week because the, normally we have these packed weeks of you know geeky goodness. But this week, the films that we watched were actually slightly different. Um, we actually rewatched. It was on Foxtel the, the other night. We rewatched Kate and Leopold, the Hugh Jackman, Meg Ryan romantic comedy. Yeah, fun film. It's a fun film, but it's missing something. And it's. It, I remember thinking that when I saw it originally hmm. at the time, and. I felt it the same way. I went, yeah, it's fun. It seems to have all the right ingredients, but it doesn't quite gel. I think as a geek, maybe a time-traveling romantic comedy, you want a little bit more time travel. (laughs) No, I don't mind it. I don't even mind just a straight romantic comedy. But when you look at the pantheon of romantic comedies and you look at things like Sleepless in Seattle or When Harry Met Sally or Mm -hmm. even French Kiss, there's certain ingredients that have to be hit. 
one of the most important ingredients, I think, is the chemistry between your two leads. And the problem is I never quite felt the chemistry between Meg Ryan and Hugh no, Jackman. No, he's, he's just not that into her. No, well, he's not that into her. But also, I think it's just there's something about, and this is going to be really weird because I really like Hugh Jackman. And I always go, he's so good. I really like him. Why didn't this work? If you think about it, he's done two romantic comedies. He did that one and he did another one, which I can't remember what it's called. Mm-hmm. Neither of them quite worked. He works when he's playing Wolverine or Van Helsing or whatever it is he's playing, uh, when he's playing those tougher characters. He can do comedy in those roles, but exactly, he's he, not a comedy actor primarily. He almost feels a little self-conscious when, mm-hmm. he's, when he's trying to play it straight. And at that point in Meg Ryan's career, she checked out. Meg, yeah, Meg Ryan, sure. she'd given up. She's she on the tail end there. Yeah, she yeah. didn't want to do those kind of films anymore. So I think there was a problem with chemistry, which is probably the biggest reason why it didn't quite work. It's still a fun film, still worth having a look at. Funnily enough, right after that, they were showing uh, You Only Live Twice, the James Bond film. Oh, and great film. It, you know what? It's a good film, and I love all the James Bond films. I'm a big James Bond fan, but it's really interesting going back and looking at it and going, out of all the James Bond films, it's kind of shonky. <laughs> oh, absolutely. In the way it's put together, it's kind of shonky. The effects work is really cheesy. There's actually the 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 absolute um uh rampant sexism in it is unbelievable. Look, I think can can I just put this into perspective for you? We are talking about a film where Sean Connery learns to be Japanese and they make him look <laughs> Japanese but I think it was I think it was my wife who 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 won the day, won the week for her comment where she said he came out in his Japanese makeup and she goes he looks like a Romulan <laughs> and I went yes absolutely the one film I did watch this week that I really really enjoyed though and I've, I've uh, for some reason, I just never got around to watching it. I've been wanting to watch it for a long time. And after watching Mission Impossible, uh, Rogue Nation recently, I wanted to go back and catch up. It was Chris McQuarrie's um, uh, Jack Reacher. Oh, yep. So I finally caught up and watched Jack Reacher. Really enjoyed it. Now, I know that this is a polarizing film on fans of the books. I haven't got there yet, so I'm uh, okay. curious. Well, fans of the books hate the film. Because he isn't Jack Reacher. Mm-hmm. In the books, he's described as being six foot something and a big, strong man and this and that. And Tom Cruise is just not the person you cast. We're comic book fans. I'm used to miscasts. Exactly. <laughs> and I look at it and go, this is an adaptation, which we're going to talk about adaptation later on. This Absolutely. is an adaptation. This is not the book. This is a film. And taking it just on the grounds of the film, and I haven't read the books, so I had no prior connection to it. It's actually a damn good film. Mm. It's actually a really good film, and I really enjoyed it. So uh, do recommend going out and grabbing that one. Get to see it on Blu-ray. It looks a treat. For it's all that Cruz is a nut, he does make good films. I agree. I think to, uh, if you can divorce yourself from his personal life, Cruz is actually he's entertaining to watch. Mm. What have you been watching and reading? Whoa. Thank you for the most excellent question, Dave. <laughs> First, let me say that my son and I a while ago, watched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and That's really loved it. <laughs> it was bodacious. <laughs> and this week, we sat down to watch Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Which I actually preferred. So. <laughs> and it was so much fun. And my, He melvined me. <laughs> he melvined me. <laughs> Just even, look, if you have an appreciation of the history of film, that, that there are so many nice little drops in that film as well. Mm. Um, but... It's just so much fun, you know, just time traveling, rock and roll, 
Station. Station. Uh, you know? <laughs> I introduced my son to the Bill and Ted's films about two years ago. We really enjoyed them. Uh, I saw them back in the day, and I love them today. So, well, my since we since we saw it the other night, my son has been walking around the house, air guitaring at me, and I have to air guitar back or I get mm. in trouble. So, it's been fantastic. Sixty nine, <laughs> dude. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I said to him, you know, who was your favorite character in the film, and. Um, Rufus, and, <laughs> and he said to me, "No, I, I." He said to me, "He was a bit dumb, but I like the dark-haired guy better." <laughs> and I was like, "Wow, Whoa. you you understand Keanu Reeves?" <laughs> uh, My favorite that, character was Death. Actually, <laughs> Death was great, <laughs> and Station. Um, <laughs> apart from that, I've been reading uh, Neil Gaiman's new book, Trigger Warning, uh, which is a collection of short stories that. Essentially, have a disclaimer at the start that all of these are going to disturb you, oh, uh, okay, which is cool. which is really good. And the first one, the first one did. It was a fantastic story um, about a an artist who is talking to one of his friends who hasn't seen in a little while, and his friend says, "Oh, I ran into your your girlfriend the other day. Uh, your your first girlfriend from back when we were kids." And he goes, "Who?" And and his friend goes, "Oh, you know." Um, Jacqueline, your first girlfriend. And the artist is, seems a bit confused and then we we find out from his monologue, his internal monologue, that uh, he had made up that girlfriend when they were kids. Uh, and the story unfolds and, and is about who this person is that's contacting them as his girlfriend. So, um, yeah, a little bit off-putting but really fun. Neil, We were talking about Stephen King last week. Neil Gaiman is my Stephen King. I, he, right, I, right. I don't think there is a better storyteller alive today. I just... Every word he writes is Dave magic. would argue that by saying it's probably Stephen King. <laughs> oh, I know he would. He's probably listening to this now going, damn it, no! <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, I love Neil Gaiman. You don't Gaiman. show up, you don't get a say. It's as simple as that. <laughs> I love Neil Gaiman and uh, and yeah, this book is has got me hooked at the moment. Um, I've been catching up on The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. <laughs> I read the first few issues of that, yes. Yeah, look, it's it's light and fun and, uh, and Ryan North is a great comedian or, or writer of comedy. And uh, and that's exactly what the the, the niche that Squirrel Girl is filling for me. The, I love the, some of the little comments on the story that he puts at the bottom of every page. You know, that's a cute little touch. And Squirrel Girl just you know beating up Whiplash and Galactus and <laughs> people well out of her league. And it's been quite good. I think Squirrel Girl is actually a really fun. It's a really fun book. It's up there in the same sort of caliber as Howard the Duck and so forth. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and She Hulk. There was a very big She Hulk vibe from it because mm. there's sort of that little bit of breaking the third Just wall. Just not that most recent She Hulk run, which was not good. I haven't seen that yet, but uh, yeah, I've heard heard things. It's got artwork that it is trying to be Mark Mike yeah, Allred, but it don't like the doesn't artwork. work at all. So. Um, I, I actually think Squirrel Girl is really interesting, and and actually it makes comment itself on uh, in, in the context of the sort of rise of the female superhero and the fact that Marvel is really pushing youth and and uh, women as superheroes uh, in the last few years. Um, it does that, but it's sort of self conscious of it and and makes a bit of fun of it, um, which is. It's really I, it, Marvel always has one or two comedy books, which are nice. Mm. They're nice that they step outside of what's obviously the editorial direction, and just sort of say, you know, let's have a bit of fun and recognize what what we're doing here. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a good book. 
Yeah. There seems to be actually an abundance of comedy books at the moment between Marvel and DC. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what that current trend is. It's like they're... they're Bizarro they're Road Trip in Bizarro DC. Bizarro Road Trip is one. There was another one from DC recently that, that also falls into that category. Um, oh, there's The Prez. Yeah. Uh, which is also... Which is actually quite a good book. Which uh, I think it goes further than, than comedy, but yeah, it's definitely... A more lighthearted look at that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so it's an interesting, interesting move with the comic book world. At the moment. Yeah, there was definitely there was a time uh, not that long ago when it was pretty much just Deadpool or just She Hulk was mm. was you know the comedy book and that was it. But now you're right. There seems to be a bit more acceptance Actually, of it. We didn't put in the show notes, but did you also read that uh, there was also that piece of news to, uh, this week that uh, the, the Hulk um, they have it's announced not they in- have announced that there is now one Hulk. Mm-hmm. It's not Banner. It's um, it's uh, Amadeus Cho. Amadeus Cho, and that's going to be the only Hulk. Well, but well, Banner will be around, but he's not the Hulk. That's interesting, and yeah, the totally awesome Hulk. Yeah. Um, look, I'm a fan of the Hulk from way back, so it's sort of. It presses my buttons a little bit, but, you know, I'll, a lot we'll see these, where it goes. A lot of these changes are pressing my buttons, but that's news <laughs> for another day. We'll see where it goes. <laughs> Last thing I've been reading is, uh, and this may be, may or may not be for a special project coming up, but I have been reading uh, the rule book for the Star Wars Age of Rebellion role-playing game. Oh, okay. uh, I uh, should put this into context for listeners. Uh, if you haven't seen it on our Facebook, uh, we... Sat down, the Geek Actually Boys, uh, with uh, our good friend Luke Lancaster last Monday, and we played a session of D&D, which was Dave Longo's first session ever. Uh, and he, he had a ball. Yeah, we all, we all had a great did. time. Yeah, yeah. Good time. Um, and uh, so we're, we're sort of looking to the future for uh, what, what role-playing might happen again. And mm-hmm. yeah, I thought Star Wars. Star, Star Wars! <laughs> <laughs> might uh, be a way to go. I so. need to put that on the soundboard for when he's not here so I can stop Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll record him doing it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but that's, yeah, that's pretty much my uh, textual week. Excellent. Mm. And uh, movie-wise, it was just the Bill and Ted's? Yeah, I haven't had a lot of time. Uh, I've, I've Actually, uh, and of I course, lie. And of course, straight out of Compton. Yeah, but, you know. I lie, I lie. I have been... Watching a lot of Archer. <laughs> I, I said it last week, so I wasn't going to say it again this week. But I'm, I've just buried another two seasons this week. And it can usually go without saying that if you've started watching a a long running TV show and you've brought it up one week, you're probably going to be watching it for the next few weeks. I'm going to be holding myself back all podcasts from yelling, suppressing fire! <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, if that's all we've gotten for reading and watching, I think we should get into some news. So let's talk about the geek news first. And the truth shall set you free! <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> um, all right, so you brought this up because I didn't actually realize this was coming, but I'm actually excited. Yes, so in light of our conversations last week about DC Comics and their DCU and the direction they're going and all these things, uh, two bits of news popped up this week. First is uh, Dan Abnett is bringing back the classic Teen Titans to the current universe, uh, essentially reuniting the team of Cyborg, Robin, Wonder Girl, Aqualad, and uh, looking all very different though. Yeah, looking looking older and and Arsenal, sorry, is in there too. Uh, and Don't say that the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and bringing them back together, sort of post all the things that they've been through. So this is this is Grayson who has been Agent Thirty Seven. And right, right, okay. Uh, okay. And yeah, so so revisiting the old history in the new. So this is the arsenal that's been hanging around with Red Hood. I believe so. Yeah. So okay, so it's all fitting within that. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So we're obviously <coughs> it's not. Exactly the classic Titans, but it is 
nodding back to their history and reuniting that team in the current continuity. I have to say the one person that's missing from that picture, of course, is Raven. The Beast Boy. And all Beast Boy too, but Raven I was a particular fan of. So Raven's cool. And, well, actually, where's Starfire as well? Yeah, um, Starfire's in her own book at the moment. But, yep. Another comedy book, funnily <laughs> enough. <laughs> but, uh, and actually, there's uh, looking at the article, there's some art here that includes Hawk and Dove as well. So there, there's definitely nods to the whole Titans history going on. Uh, and clearly, you know, like they said that they were going to, they are starting to work in some other things. I think the, the bigger s- news, though. The bigger news, though, uh, and the, the really poignant one on this uh, de- on this issue. Oh, no, no, just, just on the Teen Titans, though, the bigger news is oh. that Abnett is writing it. Oh, Abnett so. Abnet, <laughs> is a big... He's a popular guy around these studios. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Dan Abnett, for those who have been living under a rock, uh, Dan Abnett and, and and Lanning was his artist. They they did the orig- they did the uh, the Star Lord era of Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy, and uh, they're they don't tend to work together anymore. I don't know what the details of that are, but they 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 now are know. separated. But yeah, Dan Abnett is actually writing that. Team and we Titans. were talking last last week about the fact that Abnett is also writing Guardians of Infinity. Yes, which makes him one of the very few writers in the business who is working for both Marvel and DC. Mm. Uh, there's been in the last. 10 years, I'd say, there's been a huge number of people who sign exclusivity deals with one or the other. I mean, and even if they work for both, they don't generally only work for one at a time. That's right. So, so it's like we've got um, we've got a um, uh, friend of the show, uh, uh, The Deep. Um, Tom Taylor. Thank you. Tom Taylor. God, brain fuse. Tom Taylor, uh, who was working at DC, has now shifted over and is now working for Marvel. Mm-hmm. So it's like we can see you can see them shift around, but they don't generally work for two different companies at the same time. That's odd. Yeah, well, I think, I think at this point his uh, his credit is established. Yeah, and he was also for a long time. Uh, Dan Abnett was actually doing a book for Boom Studios as well, so mm. he gets around. Anyway, the other piece of news which was significant to our discussion was that uh, the pre-Flashpoint Lois and Clark are coming back in their own book. So this is Superman before the New Fifty Two, before all those things changed. Mm-hmm. He had recently discovered that he had a son. Uh, and was exploring parenthood. Uh, and this story is essentially picking up nine years la- or eight years later, uh, which is our real time. Right. Um, and showing us where they are now, what the, what those characters have been doing. And before people go, what? Remember that uh, Convergence, the whole idea of this was to bring back the multiverse. So this can quite happily live on the shelves next to current Superman where he's depowered and and uh, been outed in the world. It's a different story. That's right. It is a different universe, mm. uh, but still Superman and still being written and published by DC Comics on a monthly basis, which was kind of what we were asking for last week, um, that they would actually not just talk about revisiting their old stuff, but give us our old stuff. Give it yeah. to us. So here we go. Superman, Lois and Clark, issue one is uh, due for, I think it's March release. But, I'd, uh, be yeah. cur- I'd be curious to have a look at that. I'd be curious to see what they can do with it. So. Yeah, and look, I think they're definitely testing the waters here. Artwork looks good. The artwork does look good. Yeah. And, and Superman's got a bit of a goatee going on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure about the goatee, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but uh, I think that it's... I think it's good that they are starting to walk the walk. And that, like like I said last week, I think if we give them time, they're going to come around and find the way to do it all. Mm. 
Well, we'll see. Um, I'm not always convinced, but we'll see. Now, this is the other thing that I've, out of all the articles that we've got, because I've got a couple here as well, but out of all the articles, you found this one, which I thought was interesting, which is about video gaming. Yeah, so uh, recently some stats came out from the Entertainment Software Association, Mm -hmm. uh, which revealed that adult women now occupy the largest demographic in the gaming industry. So much for all you male nerds out there. Uh, look, it and the article was misleading. I actually went followed it up because on Facebook it said adult women are the largest demographic in gaming, which mm. look uh, we're we're certainly starting to equal out in yep, tabletop yep. gaming. But I would still say that there's a dominance of men. Uh, but this is actually just uh, just video gaming they've looked at. Okay, before you go any further, I'd like to point this out because for seven years on this network, we've been harping on about gamers. Video. We used to run a video game podcast, and we used to talk about the fact that video games aren't necessarily for kids. We we ran a huge campaign for the R rating, which is now finally in effect, and we've got the R rating for games. I love this in giant, bold letters here. It actually says, the average game player is 31 years old. That's quite correct. You know, and it's like, when you actually look at the demographics, the R rating was long time coming because the, they were for kids. That age makes makes sense, really. You know, it's, that's that's my generation. Yeah, um, very much so. And I was I was actually just remarking before the show started. This is the the show computer that we have here is the first Apple that I've used uh, since I was at school using Apple IIe's. Um, Do you but, know what the scary thing is? When I was in high school, we used Apple IIe's as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, what, 10 years older than you? Yeah, right about. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, what we, uh, so what these stats basically reveal to us is that the average game player is 31 years old. Uh, they, uh, women aged 18 or older represent a significantly greater po- uh, proportion of the game population. Mm-hmm. Than boys aged eighteen or younger, mm-hmm. uh, which definitely blows blows away some perceptions, and the number of female gamers aged fifty and older had increased thirty two percent. Oh wow! In the time that, uh, that these stats were taken, which was twenty twelve to twenty, and that's why that that is why the demographic is skewed though, because I have a look at that. The reason why this because this is including all computer games, and this is including stuff like Candy Crush, Candy Crush, uh, Angry yeah. Birds, you know, exactly. So brain all training. The, when all you bring all the casual gaming into it it actually skews the numbers as well, uh, which is really interesting because that should all be counted. And that's the problem is that we only ever go, oh, you're not a gamer unless you play Call of Duty. You know, it's like, no, all gaming is gaming. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, look, I'm I'm not... I'm, I don't want to say I'm surprised at this news. It's really nice that it's confirmed. I'm not surprised. Well, I'm a little bit surprised, but I'm not, I'm not overly surprised. I'm happy that this has come out. It's great. Because it's actually leveling the playing field a little bit you know we can only hope that people actually start to take notice of it uh and and that the stereotypes and all that things start to shift um because one of the big problems really is that i think there's a perception out there that women in gaming generally are only the women who are at the con booths trying to sell it to men and that's Mm. really not true no it's not true and this also kind of really shoves it up the butt of um all the gamergate people and all sort of stuff oh those jerks yeah it's like (laughs) Go away. Go home. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. So good news. All right. Good news. So Star Wars Expanded Universe. Uh, this was uh, a bugbear amongst a lot of Star Wars fans when uh, they decided to bring back Star Wars into the into the movie universes. One of the first things they did was they eliminated the entire Expanded Universe range and basically said, that's all now legend. I 
had so much rage in the shop. Yeah, you know, it wasn't me personally, but there there were a lot of angry people. Let me Absolutely, tell you. I mean, and they're, and, they're, and you know, justifiably because there's a lot of people who actually have followed all of the books and all of the comics, and they really they've got this expanded universe in their heads. I've and, got this Grand Admiral Thrawn tattoo, you know. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it didn't fit what they're doing with the new movies. And to be fair, and this is where it gets where we have to put our our you know grown-ups hats on and basically say that effectively the only real canon in Star Wars is the movies because they're a movie you know what i mean and all the rest of it is fun but the movies are what count and i guess that was their philosophy when they came in and said we're going to do episode 7 that's the new movie and we we can't be how we can't have our hands tied by all of the They literally universe. can't can they i mean and yeah. i can understand the disappointment of people saying, well, why don't they just adapt, you know, the stories that came yeah. afterwards? But at the same time, but the answer is that they're doing their own creative thing. And they thing. want to do something original and something fresh and, you know, That's right. and so forth. So they didn't want to have the hand side. So they basically said, look, all that stuff is still out there. Read it. Have fun with it. It's all the legends, they call it now. Mm-hmm. But it's not expanded universe. It's not canon. And as far as they were concerned, the only canon were the six films that already existed, Clone Wars and Rebels. And now the Marvel Comics. And the Marvel Comics now. Now we have our first novel back on the shelf. And this is actually Star Wars Aftermath, which is filling in the first novel to start filling in the gap between episodes six and seven. And it starts with the wonderful headline, The War is Not Over. There you go. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so those who are into Star Wars books, uh, Chuck, what's his name, Chuck Wendig? has written the book. Yep. Um, go out and find it. You can find it digitally now, I believe. I'm not sure about the printed version or when that's hitting the shelves, but it will be coming soon. And apparently it's telling stories about Wedge and stuff like that. So um, now this is not necessarily um, in this particular book, but this is the beginning of all of these stories. Here, I'll, I'll, can, I, can I read Yeah, it? yeah, please, go. Set almost immediately after the return of the Jedi. The book follows less a single plot thread than it does several that are triggered by the instigating incident. Wedge Antilles, rebel pilot responsible in part for the destruction of both Death Stars, is on a reconnaissance gig for the Rebellion, now known as the New Republic. He stumbles upon a high-level Imperial meeting ground on the backwater jungle of Akiva, and is soon captured by Admiral Ray Sloan, one of the last surviving commanders of the Empire, and a woman hell-bent on reforming the Imperial Order from the ground up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's really interesting is, isn't Wedge Antilles, uh, Wedge Antilles, isn't the actor who plays him, isn't he... Related to, I think, I could be, Star Wars fans, I'm going to hear a million Star Wars fans scream out <laughs> in the night. I think, I think he is actually related to um, Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's related to, um, to Alec Ewan, Ewan McGregor. Oh, Ewan McGregor. Yeah, that does sound familiar. Yeah, I, I think, think I think he is. I think it's that. I think it's that actor. Mm. So I think that's very interesting. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I think that there's actually been a little bit of hype and speculation about whether some of the supporting cast from the original films would get a mention or or, or mm. be revisited in the, the Force Awakens. So it's good to see that certainly in the novels, yeah, we're looking at what happens to Wedge after, yeah. you know, after the story. And you can only hope that uh, similar things happen with Lando and, you know, obviously we've got the Lando comic series. Oh, at the moment, Lando so. comic. And look, all of the Marvel... Um, Star Wars comic series so far have been excellent, so they're all worth having a look at. And they do fill in little holes and gaps and stuff like that, and they're really good. Mm. So uh, I love the fact that it says, is Boba Fett alive in this new canon timeline? Did you read that thing from George Lucas the other day? George Lucas, yep. Uh, actually said- Confirmed. Confirmed. He lived. But 
George Lucas isn't canon anymore. So <laughs> yeah, there's no, we can't take anything that George says as I'll see. Well, we, look, don't forget to, my my hot tip for Force Awakens is that there's two characters whose last names we don't know yet. That's true. I reckon one of them's going to be fit. Ah, uh, see, the problem is I don't know because we've already got all that that baggage of clones. So I just I don't know. Mm. Um, I don't know if they'll play with the Fett name. They'd be better off just bringing Fett back into well, the fold somehow. I guess. You know, anyway, but we'll see. He's got a helmet on. We've never actually seen his face except for the clones. It's true, but I mean, if you think about it, he was born in the prequel trilogy. By the time we get to Force Awakens... He'd be really old. He'd be really old he'd under that helmet. He'd be really old because he, he would be like Obi-Wan age at the, at the beginning of episode four. And now we're thirty years on from that. <laughs> That's right. So wow, yeah. But he's yeah. Cool. maybe he's got maybe he's got decelerated <laughs> <laughs> because there's I don't know. because there needs to be more superpowers attached to Boba Fett. Yeah, know? why not? <laughs> well, he's never proved to be that effective, has he? <laughs> he fell into a sarlacc pit for goodness sake. Well, I mean, so um, all right, all right. Now the last thing we're going to talk about very very quickly before we move into film news because this is actually kind of will lead us into film news. Evangeline Lilly was uh, was. A lot of people actually said when they saw the Ant-Man movie, they were all like, well, you know, they, 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 and sorry, this is a spoiler, but it's been a few weeks out now, so, you know, deal with it. In the in the post-credit sequence, we see the, the Wasp costume, and there was all this talk about why couldn't she have put that on? Why couldn't we see her as the Wasp, et cetera, et cetera? Well, it's finally come out. We know why. Because apparently the, the final fittings and stuff for the suit hadn't been done because eventually Lily was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so she couldn't fit in the suit. Which is probably the best reason we could have come up with. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that's why she never actually donned the costume because she they couldn't fit her for it because she kept changing in size. <laughs> so, But God, it's a badass looking costume. Oh, it's great. It's, it's colourful but still so... And the, and the wings look right. Yeah. Oh, it's just that's going to be a great wasp when they get her in that. Question is, she's got to lose all the baby weight first and everything else. But there's also been no talk about when we will see the wasp. We will again. see the wasp again. Yeah. So we wait and see. Uh, it'll be in Ant Man two whenever that comes. Well, you never know. Might show up in Black Panther. Very possibly. Um, okay, so we're going to hit this button right here. This isn't the version that fades down. <laughs> I've got two versions of the soundboard. I've got to get rid of one of them. Art on film news. What we should say, though, is very funny because we're going from geek news, which is Marvel, to film news, which is Marvel. <laughs> oh, look, Marvel just owns all the news these days. Absolutely. So this was actually a big story all week. Um, basically... Disney came out in an article saying, and this was a lot of people are going to say, how the hell is this possible? But Disney came out recently and said that the $1.4 billion that Avengers Age of Ultron took, they consider that a flop. Yeah, look, this was an interesting story. Um, Sources at Disney say that the tensions have been building between Marvel and Disney for a while. Mm. uh, And that Age of Ultron underperformed not monetarily, but in terms of the quality of film that it was. I tend to agree. Well, yeah, and it's not so much the quality of film, because I think the films have actually been very high in quality. I think there's been a push between two lead players in this, and I think that push has basically been between Ike uh, Perrymutter 
and Kevin Feige. And basically, Feige has been under the gun. He's been under pressure. And he's been being told constantly to cut money here. Feige being the Marvel Studios. Being the Marvel Studios boss. Boss. And And Perlmutter being the head of Marvel. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Marvel uh, Proprietary Limited, I guess it would be. Or Marvel Limited. Yes, not not just the comic books, but actually the entire Marvel. Marvel, yeah. Uh, Now, the funny thing is, the big bosses finally stepped in. Because let's not forget that Marvel is actually owned by Disney. Now, Mar- Disney's had a very good track record of buying companies, uh, Pixar, um, uh, Lucasfilm, and staying out of their business. Basically saying, just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. That's why we bought you. However, um, in this particular case, Disney has stepped into the fold because they know they have a cash cow on their hands. They know they have an incredibly successful uh, bunch of films, an incredibly successful franchise to play with, and um, they know that this is, realistically, Kevin Feige's doing. Um, So uh, they've basically stepped in and said that enough of this, and and, uh, let's not forget that a lot of this came to a head because... Uh, Ike, uh, Paramutter, basically had stepped in and said that they needed to cut characters and cut costs from Black Pan- uh, from, from Civil War. Civil War. And basically saying that Civil War was becoming too big and that they needed to, they needed to shave that down. Kevin Feige disagreed and basically was trying to make another big film that was going to turn a lot of money and be very successful and build on their expanded universe. And the- let's face it, they need to continue, uh, at the risk of being a Marvel fanboy, embiggening. The, <laughs> the um the Marvel Universe. Yes, you know, each each film doesn't have to be more spectacular than the last one. It has to be more ambitious. Yeah, exactly. it has to be more ambitious. And this wasn't going down very well. Now and I a think- side story to this was Kevin Feige was starting to get uh Frustrated. Frustrated. And basically, Kevin Feige had already put rumblings out. We've talked about this over the last few months on panels. He'd started to put rumbling out that at the end of uh, uh, Infinity War, he would be stepping down. Mm-hmm. He would be moving on. It was starting to accelerate. He was basically, it was looking like that Kevin Feige may actually pull out mm-hmm. and say, I'll take my ball and bat and go somewhere else. Disney has now stepped in and they restructured Marvel. <laughs> And, uh, and it's made some differences. It's made some differences. So basically, Disney separated Marvel. It's like putting the two naughty children in opposite corners. Basically, said Kevin Feige knows what he's doing, and they gave him Marvel Productions, and uh, they put Pearl Mutter in the other corner and said, "You are in charge of Marvel Comics and the TV stuff." Yeah. Now this is dangerous and somewhat ironic, I think. Yeah, and I actually have a problem. I have a slight problem with this because we are trying to tie the films and the TV series and everything into one expanded universe. And if we actually have two creative control teams, because remember, the crea- creative team, what is it called? It's called the Marvel... Um, the uh, creative committee. The creative committee has been also been disbanded for the films. Uh, that's no longer part of the film uh, franchise anymore, which is probably a good thing um, because nothing ever really gets done by committee. Mm-hmm. Um, I just really wish that the film and TV unit had gone together. Mm. I think that is the. I think not having Feige. Look, have there's a, nothing that says that they can't interact. It's just that you don't think there's going to be some bad of, blood now. Well, I think there is, but I think I think it's yeah <laughs> that extra step, step of bureaucracy to make it happen now. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the long and the short of it is Feige now answers to the mouse. Which, um, yeah, 
Look, yeah. I think it was coming at some stage anyway. And the mouse has a lot more money, let's face it. <laughs> so. the, um, the disappointment, uh, I just sort of scanned this article as well. The disappointment that's being cited with Age of Ultron, I should qualify. Um, look, I, I personally think it, it was flawed as a film. Not bad, but definitely, you know, there were problems. Uh, but Disney in particular uh, didn't like the the negative reaction towards the lack of Black Widow mm-hmm. uh, merchandising and follow-up on the film. Uh, and they also cited uh, how slow the creative committee was to come back to filmmakers, which pushed Edgar Wright off Ant-Man originally, was, mm-hmm. was that he couldn't get anything moving. Right. Um, so uh, that's that's what they're citing as the reasons for it all. And that actually makes a lot of sense because if you could have, I mean, let's face it, Edgar Wright has been ready to go on Ant-Man for nine years. Mm-hmm. If they could have pushed that forward faster, they probably would have. Absolutely. And look, the last few weeks we've been talking a lot about the idea of how studios and directors interact and, and how films are produced. And I think that this is a process which will streamline the films mm. and make them easier to produce. Yeah. No, I, no, I agree with that. It will be very interesting to see a post-creative um, committee film hmm. um, to see how look, it actually falls uh, Look, I think Feige has a vision. Mm. Uh, and, you know, that's definitely come across in all the films so far. Who knows how it'll play out? Or has Feige got a vision that has just recently been a little bit cloudy? Hmm. Um, the other part, the other piece of all of this, and this, we don't know whether this is actually because of all of this, and this is possible. There's always a possibility. But Chris Evans uh, also was getting ready to walk. Uh, let's face it, he was. Um, it was. Uh, his- he said a couple of times that he wanted to move on to being a director. Yeah, he than an said actor. He, he was. He's. Basically contracted now after Civil War is done, he is contracted for the last two Avengers films, which is Infinity War one and two. Then he's done, and he actually said that once he's done with that, he's hanging up his cowl. He's basically stopping acting, mm-hmm. and he's going to just direct. Well, he's actually backtracked on that a little bit this week. Uh, this was an interview he did with Collider, and I have the I have the tail end of the interview here where he actually talks about this. And have a listen to this. Because I'm almost out of time with you already, which is... Because I just babbled. No, no, it's <laughs> fucking crazy how fast time goes. And the last time I spoke to you was maybe Avengers. Yeah. And I asked you a very direct question about your Marvel contract. Yeah. I think you have two movies left? Yeah. Avengers, Avengers 1 and... Avengers 3 and 4. Right, exactly. Yeah. So you mentioned a while ago that you might be done with acting, you might focus on directing, yeah. but you also said to me that you might stick with Marvel and that'll be your acting thing. Yeah. And then... So, hey, listen, if, if Marvel wants me, they got me. I, I've never had such a relationship where you have such... I mean, look at my resume. I'm used to being on set being like, oh, is this movie going to be terrible? It's Marvel is just so... They just they can't stop making great movies. They just do it in their sleep. And so it's, it's wonderful directors and producers and actors and scripts. And it's just... It's, it's like a playground as an actor. So, you know, it's so, so mind-boggling that I was so uh, tentative in the beginning to jump on board. What an asshole I would be if I hadn't done dude, this. You know I, what I mean? Can you imagine kicking myself? I'd never forgive myself. Dude, I remember talking to you before Captain America, and you were very nervous. Oh, and it has been what so... What a dipshit. No, dude, it, it could have been... A, a, you never know, man. You never know. But, no, man, no, man no. it was a smart decision. <laughs> Thank God. I mean, it's just the best. 
What a dipshit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I, I can totally understand that. If he if he had said no, he would be kicking himself. And Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's face it, he had, he had done Fantastic Four already. He'd already had his bite at the superhero apple, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, yeah, I'm sure when they said, do you want to do Captain America? He went, really? Yeah. Uh, really? But good thing he did because, you know, he's a good Cap. And as you said, Cap, he's a... He's, Cap is a boring character in many ways because he is a Boy Scout, you know? Yeah, very straight down the line, which is hard to bring a lot to as the actor, I suppose. But yeah. But think about it. He did a great job in um, Winter Soldier. I mean, and that was a really interesting Cap because he he was in conflict uh, with himself. What I think is, look, what I think is interesting about Captain America in general, but in the movies especially, is that he is not. A leading man. He is the man who leads a team of leading mm, men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, like the thing that really made uh, the sec- Winter Soldier for me was that you know it was Cap working with the Widow, working with Falcon, working yeah. with Fury. You know, and and he was the center point of it all. But it was a team ish- team effort. Yeah. <coughs> no, and and I think it's also very important to note that the structure of the Avengers films has always been, uh, from the very, very beginning, um, Whedon actually said it was always about, it was Captain America's perspective mm-hmm. of what, everything that was going on because he was the man out of time. And it works that way. Yeah, and it works very, very well. One thing that was really horrifying on that page we were just looking at was mm-hmm. they were talking about the, pos- the potential for a Back to the Future remake. Uh, I read that article. I actually purposely did not put that in uh, the show notes because we don't have any... What they're actually saying... It's all speculation. It's all speculation. So what basically happened this week, very quickly, we won't go harp on it. If if we find out more, we'll actually go into detail. But what basically happened was DreamWorks has come back to Universal. So uh, for those who have been following Spielberg's career, um, Spielberg uh, set up Amblin, which was under the Universal umbrella, and the offices for Amblin Studios are actually in Universal. When he went and formed his own company, the the distributors for DreamWorks Films have been Paramount and Disney over the years. Well, those all, all those contracts are up now, and basically DreamWorks is now going to be distributed by Universal. So basically Spielberg is coming back to Universal, and suddenly this talk started out of nowhere that a Jaws and or Back to the Future remakes could be possible now. Please don't. And it's like, everybody's like, just stop it. (laughs) So it doesn't mean that they're going to happen. It's just suddenly Spielberg at Universal means, oh, well, you must remake all the old Universal films. So it's like, no, that's not necessarily. But anyone anyone in Hollywood who is listening, please stop that from happening. Jaws (laughs) and Back to the Future do not need to be remade. Just stop. <laughs> you can remake Jaws 4 if you want to. Just, 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 you can make another sequel to Jaws. I don't care. Just don't make, don't remake Jaws. Just leave it alone. I agree. Speaking of Spielberg, we'll jump those two trailers for a second. Just speaking of Spielberg. Um, Spielberg and superheroes. Spielberg and superheroes. Let's talk about that very quickly. I think this is a non-story, quite frankly. But you hey, know. Look, it largely is. But Steven Spielberg, apparently this week, predicted that superhero movies will go the way of the West. Let me answer that by saying... Duh. (laughs) Look, it is the very nature of uh, cinema that we go through periods where a particular genre is riding high and just bombards the the market. Uh, You know, it was crime films and thrillers uh, a little while ago. Yep. It was westerns in the. Let's not forget, crime films and thrillers hadn't been big since the seventies, so we That's right. saw them cycle back around again. Yep. Uh, westerns were huge in the sixties. They disappeared. 
virtually disappeared by the mid seventies, mm-hmm. but we had a little resurgence of westerns in the mid eighties. Eighties and nineties gave us sci-fi. So seventy-seven, we saw Star Wars. Everybody went, "Oh, sci-fi is back on top again." Mm-hmm. Early eighties, we had fantasy films with Beastmaster and Conan <laughs> and so forth, and then fantasy died for decades. I think Masters of the Universe killed it. I think it may. <laughs> I think it may have. And then Lord of the Rings brought it back and resuscitated it yep. again. You know, so it's like everything comes in cycle. We went through. Uh, the 80s was horror central mm-hmm. and then horror films all kind of died off for a while and then Saw and so forth brought it all back again. It so. is very po- – look, it's very possible that this you know slew of 20-something superhero films that's coming out between now and 2020 – Will be the end of it. Will yeah. be the end of it, that people will get tired of it, sure. <coughs> but it's also possible that it will keep going for another 10 years. Who knows? The one thing that I will say about superhero films um, is that one of the reasons why comic books have endured for so long and the mass market is now discovering what us geeks already knew, which is they're really, really great morality tales. They're really, really great adventure stories. They're really, really great uh, character pieces. And they fold out on cinema screens really nicely. They tell really, really easy stories to digest they look spectacular, um, and they're fun characters to follow. And that's why Marvel's model is working so well, because we get to follow the same characters. Through, and let's you know. not forget that for a studio coming to it, there's already pre-written scripts, hundreds of them. Absolutely. They just hire a writer and say, take that, adapt it. Take that book, far out, the number of Marvel crossover events that could very easily be reworked for the screen. Correct. You know. Um, so I just think that at the moment what we're seeing is the Marvel films, and let's face it, we're not only making superhero films. There's lots of other films being made. There are. There's like, what? We're talking three or four a year that are the main events. And some years there's only been one or two. I think this is the sensationalism of this article is that it's Spielberg. And, uh, and exactly. The fact, that, the fact that Spielberg traditionally is the blockbuster director and superheroes are currently the blockbuster films, and that he's not making any of them. So, you know, it's playing off all of that. <laughs> yeah, you might be remaking Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> Marty, Marty flies a superhero, right? <laughs> yeah, damn straight. Let's not forget that Steven Spielberg was offered some of these films and he turned them down. So, um, yeah, bad blood there, maybe, maybe. I'm a big Spielberg fan, so I've got no, nothing bad to say. Yeah, about look, it's, I, I don't think that there is anything bad to say one way or the other way here. Yeah. I think he's pointing out something that's, Pretty obvious. And and I think it's a non-story. It's a non-starter. Yeah. All right. Let's move on from him and talk about television. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, for those who have been li- listening to our shows for a while, you know that we're great for we're, television. <laughs> we're we're um, we're big fans of certain uh, superhero TV shows as well, and we got a couple of trailers. So this week we had the trailer for the Marvel's Agents of Shield season three drop. So we thought we'd have a quick listen to this. My name is Daisy. I'm with Shield. We're here for your protection. They built a team to defend the world. What is happening to me? Against the very ones they fight to save. We call ourselves inhumans. But now face a threat. I'm not scared of you. You should be. That is beyond belief. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. premieres Tuesday, September 29th on ABC. Or as our esteemed co-host Richard from Behind the Panel said in his article, uh, we can like, you know, prayer to the moon gods and so forth here in Australia because we have no idea when it's coming back. <laughs> Look, that trailer, really interesting visuals. Um, it, it actually looks much more like what I want from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. than what I've seen. Look, this is, this is following on 
the second half of season two, which kind of reinvented the series. Absolutely. The look. The more I hear the, the Inhumans named dropped, name dropped in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the more I'm excited for them. Well, these this are is, some of my favorite characters. This is laying. This series is completely laying the groundwork for the movie. Yeah, that's coming. I mean, the, look. Honestly, the day that I see you know Black Bolt and Medusa show up on screen, it's it's going to be the biggest nerdgasm. Oh yeah, you're going to hear it from wherever you are. But, <laughs> and Lockjaw, dude. But yeah, but look, the other cool thing that in that trailer was. There was a, a flash, a shadow there that looked a little bit like Blackheart, maybe. Which well, maybe, is, maybe he's literally the devil in, uh, in <laughs> or the son of the devil in Marvel, the Marvel universe. So, so I'm very curious to see where they're going to take this because they are working within the confines of a TV budget, mm-hmm. um, which is, and we're not talking about a Netflix budget. We're talking about NBC. Sure. Oh no, what is it? CBS budget? CBS budget. Um, so yeah, there's always that. There's always that factor. But they've done really well with it so far. There is. But you know, like wild speculation for me, just from having seen that trailer, is that if if we do get Blackheart, that's that's the supernatural side of the Marvel universe starting to show up, and who would possibly be the Doctor obvious Strange. cameo there? Yeah, yeah. And then what they'll awesome. do is they'll do the crossover episode for when Doctor Strange comes out. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So there's there's uh, movement in the supernatural direction. It that, but there's also movement in the supernatural direction in Arrow season four, which also dropped its trailer. So let's the have a distinguished to this. competition. The Arrow's dead. I couldn't be that person even if I wanted to be. And I don't want to be. Oliver walked away. The ghosts, they're like nothing we'd ever seen before. Well trained, well armed. We need the arrow. Oh, you don't know who I am, do you? I'm Damien Dark. So you're all fretting about this city dying. I'm here on behalf of an organization that wants you to let it die. This town started going to crap the moment you put on that hood. You brought madness into all our lives and the monster you were inspired monsters. I respect order, discipline. All you represent is anarchy. You've certainly chosen an unusual hobby, Mr. Even when we're out there, we are not out there together. You both almost got killed tonight because you didn't have each other's backs. I don't know what's happening now, but it is not in my job description. Ready? When people go in the pit, they don't come out the same. You can't be the arrow. He died. So who are you? You're about to find out. All right, so... So much to say in that little trailer. Absolutely. So let's let's see if we can summarize our thoughts in 30 seconds. All right. In 30 seconds, Paul Blackthorne, consistently the best thing about that show. Absolutely. I, I love him. Um, in memory of Ray Palmer? What? Uh, no? You, well, <laughs> at this point, remember, they think he's dead because he blew up in his building. Of course. Yeah. Uh, but- we have already know, though, because we saw the leaked, we saw the trailer for, for Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow that he got small. <laughs> but still, you know. Um, 
Arrow and Felicity living in the suburbs, so wrong. So oh, wrong. we knew that was coming from the end of the series. Look, I love Felicity, but I, I don't, don't. I don't buy that they're living in the the what looks like a seven the, the house from that seventy show. Yeah. You know, I um, yeah. I, so. I, I'm not a Felicity fan at all. But uh, I, yeah, look, they're clearly playing a little bit with Green Arrow history, and you know the the fact that he in the comics, retired for a while to, to yep. the suburbs, but um, yeah, no. Problem, the problem I have, I mean, we saw we saw Constantine there, which was lovely because... We're yeah, going nice into, little flash. We're going into Damien a, Dark, obviously. Damien Dark. We're going into a more supernatural realm in this season. The problem I had with this trailer was it looks like a different show. I think that's what they want. I know that they, they said they was going to lighten it up and they're going to... I'm talking about it looks like a different show. It doesn't even look like a lightened version of the same. It looks like a different... It's like... It doesn't have the same feeling anymore. It's like hashtag at, no filter. <laughs> maybe and somebody turned on a light. Um, but uh, well, they also did the release of Diggle's new costume, uh, Magneto's helmet. helmet. Yeah, yeah, yeah Magneto's which helmet, is yeah. bizarre. And you know, I guess everyone's sort of speculating wildly about what direction Diggle is going to go in. Mm. Everyone sort of was thinking he was setting up to become a Green Lantern, and there's been drops about Coast City in there as well. And then everyone was saying, oh, you know, maybe he's going to become the Guardian because he's got the helmet and just needs a shield sort of thing. But, yeah, I'm it just it looks odd. It's it an odd-looking helmet. It does, look, it does look odd, but I would also like to point out that <laughs> I actually really thought that that actor was Moss from the ID crowd <laughs> until the last shot. And you know who that character's supposed to be, don't you? Hmm? That's Mr. Terrific. Oh, yeah, with the, with the afro. Yeah, with yeah. the afro. So it's uh, pretty, pretty getting buff, but, you know, that's Mr. Terrific who... I can't stand as a character. Really? Oh, I can't stand Mr. Terrific. I can't stand him. <laughs> what What offends you so much about Mr. Terrific? Oh, I just I've I've never read a Mr. Terrific comic written uh, that um, feels real to me at all. Uh, the- they, they, it is he, he is always. Let's see. How do I? Write? I actually no. I'm going to take this back. I'm going to take that statement back a little bit and say that I've been heavily jaded by the new 52's interpretation. The new 52 has done a very strange Mr. Terrific. They did a really bad job with it. I never really liked Mr. Terrific anyway. I've always felt he was kind of a wasted, wasted character. The new 52 turned him into the most obnoxious pig. The pre-flashpoint um, Jeff Johns JSA Mr. Terrific was actually a cornerstone well, of the team. Jeff Johns was, you know, writing him. It probably made made sense of the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it was good, and it actually explored him as a legacy hero and the original Mr. Terrific from the 1940s, and you know what the right, connection right, was okay. there. That was it was quite good. So maybe check so that out talking sometime. About Liefeld's Mr. Terrific. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. Do, can, can we not talk about Liefeld? Oh, anyway. I have issues there. Oh, don't, don't we all? All uh, right. I like ankles. <laughs> and normal sized chests. <laughs> on men, I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last piece of uh, film news today, and then we'll get on to our film review, is <laughs> something that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, which was we were all saying that we're really looking forward to John Williams' score for the new Star Wars film. Uh, sorry, Star Wars. Star Wars. Um, and we were actually saying, when will the soundtrack come out? Because traditionally, the soundtrack has always come out before the film, and for the previous six films. And in the la- in the in the uh, one instance, it actually gave away a huge spoiler mm-hmm. by a track name. Uh, Slash Film put up an article this week, basically saying that John Williams' score will not be released until the film has come out, uh, because uh, <laughs> as they pointed out, J.J. Abrams likes his box of secrets, and so the soundtrack will not come out until the film's release date. So, Which is great. It won't come out digitally or on disc until its release date. So, but, uh, but boy, we're counting down those days. Certainly are, because I really want to hear it. I, um, I think, like, uh, no jokes, I think I'm at least as excited, if not more, for the score 
as I am for the film. I would say absolutely. There's no <laughs> doubt in my mind. Uh, so yeah, absolutely no doubt in my mind. But that brings us to an end of our film news. And Jamie, you know what that means, don't you? What does that mean? Dave? That means we're going to have to go and find ourselves in South Central uh, for a little bit of this. Let me tell you what I see here. A lot of raw talent. Swagger. Bravado. People are scared of you guys. They think you're dangerous. But you have a unique voice. The world needs to hear it. All right, let's hit this shit. That shit was dope, man. You a genius. <laughs> What's NWA stand for anyway? No whites allowed? Something like that? <laughs> no. Niggas with attitudes. You have any idea how many records you're selling? NWA's arrived. You're fucking huge. Dangerous motherfucker raising hell. And if I ever get caught, I make bail. Your songs, they glamorize gangs and drugs. Our art is a reflection of our reality. The Rodney King beating was a shocker. Guys like you change shit like this. This is a threat, guys, from the federal government. Speak a little truth and people lose their minds. Performance of the song, F the Police, will not be permitted. They try to tell us what the fuck we can't put. This is W.A. Yo, Dre. What up? I got something to say. All right, enough said. That's it. We're done. <laughs> Yo, Dave, I got something to say. <laughs> What's that there, Jamie? I fucking love this film. <laughs> oh, fucking hell. All right, so let's talk a little bit about this film. So this is uh, Straight Outta Compton, directed by F. Gary Gray. Uh, not a household name by any means, but has directed some really good films in the past. Uh, the Negotiator, uh, with Samuel L. Jackson being one of them. Uh, written by Jonathan Herman and Andrea Burloff. It stars O'Shea Jackson Jr., if you think that the resemblance between the real Ice Cube and the actor who plays Ice Cube in this film is close, that's because it's actually his son. <laughs> right, so, um, Corey Hawkins, Jason Mitchell, Neil Brown Jr., Aldous Hodge, Marlon Yates Jr., R. Marcus, Ta R. Marcus Taylor, and Paul Giamatti. Uh, the group, uh, the synopsis according to IMDb, the group NWA emerges from the mean streets of Compton in Los Angeles, California in the mid-1980s and revolutionizes hip-hop culture with their music and tales about life in the hood um normally we would actually do the trailer at this point but i had to get there <laughs> man the music's just been in my head literally 
I from the first moment. I finished watching the film. The soundtrack to this movie is actually not available at this point. No. But what is interesting is that the 2002 remastered version of Straight Outta Compton, Straight Outta Compton is only 9.99 on iTunes at the moment. So, and it's 18 tracks. It's expanded. So mm-hmm. go and buy that. And Dr. Dre himself just released an album this week. He did called Compton, and it's uh, basically some people have criticized it being a cash grab. Who cares? It's got some great stuff on it. It does. Uh, go out and have a listen to it. Um, you can also get all of the, of the entire uh, library of, of NWA and subsidiaries, your uh, Easy es and what have you, are all on iTunes. You can get just about everything you want. But what fascinated me about this film is that it isn't about the band. There's it, so it, much around it. It isn't. It isn't that you're right. It's it's uh, on the surface. It looks like a biopic, uh, but uh, it's so much deeper than that. It goes into it goes into the the thought pattern of that period of time. It goes into the racism that was running rampant across America, in particular in the ghettoized areas. It's talking about the music industry in general, and that statement of Easy E's in the trailer. That our art is a reflection of our reality. Yeah. Is it's the dominant thought throughout this film. Mm. You know, you you are watching these young men grow up and seeing things they experience and seeing them then express that in their music. Well, and it's actually interesting because to to highlight that moment, there is actually the the song that you hear in the trailer. This one. Right about now, NWA court is in full effect. Judge Dre residing. In the case of NWA versus the police department, prosecuting attorneys are MC Rand, Ice Cube, and Easy Motherfucking E. Order, order, order. Ice Cube, take the motherfucking stand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth so help your black ass? You goddamn right. But won't you tell everybody what the fuck you gotta say? Fuck the police coming straight from the underground. A young nigga got it back because I'm brown. Yeah, that song. <laughs> the reason why I play that is because that the film highlights uh, very clearly the, the creation of that song, which is when they are literally rec- at a recording studio, they're trying to write music, they come out for lunch and are harassed on the street just for being there. That's right. Of all the music in the film, uh, Straight Outta Compton, the actual song, yeah. and, and Fuck the Police are the two dominant tracks. Absolutely. And... and, uh, and the, there's a, a moment where Ice Cube, they come into the studio after being harassed by the police and you see him furiously writing stuff down on paper and then he just throws it down and Dre just goes, yeah, do it. And they, then they do, fuck the they police. They record it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, and, and what's really interesting is how fast they were actually producing content. It's like um, he's on the school bus writing, uh, he's just sitting there writing rhymes. And yeah. they're constantly just and there's a there's a sequence in the film and you know this is a movie this is fantasy in a sense that it's a, it, we are accelerating time and so forth, but we know from watching rap battles and stuff like that how fast they think on their feet, and they will do things like there's a scene where Snoop Dogg is introduced into it he walks in Dre plays him a track and says do you think you can do something with that and Snoop Dogg goes yeah I think I can do something and just walks in behind the mic you know yeah. and it's like and I think. That's there's this there's this this sense of rhythm that they're that they're just playing with where they're just going with the rhyme on the beat, you know. Absolutely, it, look, it it definitely plays into that whole culture mm. uh, and and that style of music. But like well, like we said, there's so much more in this, and it it really intimately connected with me because I was alive when this was happening. Yeah, you know, like uh, it, 
one of the things that I was saying to David before the show was recorded is that in Australian schools, we're very much taught that racism is history. It's taught in a history class. Mm. And whilst, yes, it does happen in Australia and to, ne- to neglect that would be, would be wrong, we don't see it as a real thing. Mm. You know, we like, I remember distinctly being a teenager and seeing things like the race riots and the Rodney King uh, trial on the TV and it was over there. It was a distant thing that wasn't happening in my direct world. But seeing what these kids went through, seeing them being literally harassed by the police just for being black. Just to walk across the road in one instance. Yeah. You know? They're standing out at the scene where they are standing outside their studio having a break, basically, and the police just pull up and get them down on the ground and start searching them. Yeah. Just for being black in that neighborhood is it's horrific. It's well, really and, scary. And there's that scene early on in the film where where uh, Ice Cube is actually at the other friend's house. Mm-hmm. He goes, I got to go home, picks up his book, goes out the front door. His house is across the road and he gets to the sidewalk before a police car pulls up and pulls him over. Yeah. You know, and it's like he's thinking, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. um, it's this, it's, this it's, ingrained uh, racism that is just throughout uh, the entire uh, the, the entire culture. It's um, confronting and real. And actually, that's one of the, the things about this film is that it feels very real, even though you know it's a film, even though mm. it's a... Even though it's a biography, and and notoriously biographies take liberties with with fact. Absolutely, I mean, we we you can drive some some trucks through the factual holes in this. One of the things I did when I came home from this film was I immediately went onto the net and I was looking up the history of the NWA. I looked at the history of Dre. I looked at the history of Ice Cube, mm-hmm. and just the sequences of events in the film didn't necessarily play out the way that it's actually reported um, in history. But then once again, we were talking before about adaptation. We're talking about the fact that you're, you've got it. We're not talking about a documentary here. This is not a documentary about the NWA. This is a film. And as a film, it's still got to be an entertainment piece. And as an entertainment piece, you've got to drive the film. You've got to drive the story forward and so forth. And writers will adapt. Right. Uh-huh. And there are bigger messages in this film rather than just simply a, a historical exactly. analysis so of NWA. Rather than nitpick on who met who first you sit there and go what is the film trying to say you know and it is saying to us in, in large part that these guys were growing up in an environment that was rife with racism mm. with with injustice and that their music was a direct response to that 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 things like fuck the police really weren't saying fuck the concept of police it's not saying fuck justice. They're it's not saying, saying kill police. Fuck saying- what you people do to us. Yeah, and that's, I think that's a very, very strong point to make, which is when you actually listen to what the words are, a lot of people just jump in and go, oh, fuck the police, how dare you? And I think that's what the FBI did when they sent that letter to them as Look, well. When I was a kid and it came out, I was stunned. You know, I was a bit stunned at it because it, certainly here – there's nothing wrong with the police. No. They, you know, they're, good, they're good people. They help keep us safe. When you actually listen to the lyrics of it, though, you listen to the rhymes that Ice Cube wrote for that song, though, he's not saying what he's, it's not what he's not saying. He's saying, you treat us like we're all drug, drug dealers. You treat us like we're all this. We're not. That's all right. Of that so stop treating us that way, and you know. And the film you, starts with Ice Cube you. being a student on a bus. Exactly, and the thing is, and you look at it when you watch this film. 
these aren't gangbangers. No. You know, Easy E is portrayed at one point as being a bit of a dope dealer, but he's not a gangbanger. They're not they're not out shooting people. They're not they're kids. Absolutely. You know? And when they look when they become successful, yeah, they get into some stuff. Mm. Um and and there's a party scene with some wonderful eye candy. <laughs> and there's lots of wonderful eye candy throughout the whole film. But yeah. But uh but that's sort of looking at the the excess of success. Mm. Uh, and and that's a comment that's in there as well. Uh, very much is that you know as soon as they become successful, people are exploiting them. People are they move out of Compton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, uh, and well, they move out, sure, but at the same time, you know, Dre is concerned with sending money back home and yep. and you know keeping his family cared for. Um, and and it's really the story is about those three guys growing up, mm. and and their experiences and like I said and there's actually a, a really nice arc in it because as history has shown us so it's going to be the same in the film so it's not really a spoiler Easy e is diagnosed as HIV positive um, and it's it comes at a sad moment because he's basically it's at a point where they're all starting to reconcile mm-hmm. they've they've been very a very bitter breakup they've split up gone their, gone their ways yeah. and starting to come back together but not only have they gone their own ways they're out actively dissing each other I mean just musically they're just out destroying each other because they're so mad at each other. But we get to this point where they start thinking maybe bring back the NWA, maybe you know do a do a reunion mm-hmm. and so forth. And then of course Easy E is diagnosed with HIV and gets very sick. Very, very fast, in fact. Yeah. Um and that of course raises other questions like, you know, he was in a relationship with a wife who and who, who was, was pregnant, pregnant, you know, and it's like there's all, and this was an era when we didn't understand HIV. And well, his first reaction is that can't be, I'm not a fag. I'm not a fag, that's yeah. right, I'm not gay. And it's like th- there was so little understanding of all of this stuff at that time. And for the promiscuous um, uh, youths in this film, I mean, because that was kind of the lifestyle, mm-hmm. it must have been an eye-opener, you know? Look, one of, one of the things that I really admired about this film was that it didn't pull any politically correct punches, mm. you know? Like, I mean, obviously with the source material, they couldn't to some extent. But they never even thought about going near not using the language that they used. Absolutely not. They, they never tried to doctor the history to make themselves look less guilty. Of of making what they made, yeah, I think they probably they probably whitewashed some of their activities a little bit just because they wanted to make them uh, people that we can relate to. Of course, you know what I mean. But but overall, you're right. They they were still there was some reprehensible behavior. In there it, was, you know? and and they didn't apologize for it. No, um, which which I really respected. What's actually interesting is Dre recently. I read an article with him because, as I said, I did all this reading about him later. He actually read an I read an article uh, an interview with him. Uh, just a couple of years ago, actually, and it was um, it was somebody had actually said, but you know, what about how overtly sexist you have been in the past? And there's been accusations of him being uh, brutal to his women and stuff like that. And what I loved about the uh, well, the interview was he never said no, I didn't do that. No, I did. he tried to deny. It. He said I was young, I was stupid, I was from the streets, and he goes, and every day we try and become better. He goes, and now he goes, I've been married nineteen years now, and every day I try and be a better person. Yeah, and you sit there and go, that's maturity. That's growing up. That is, you know. And you sit there and go, yes, they were street kids. They were kids, you know. And we, and I think that's the most important thing. I mean, I. Ice Cube couldn't have been any more than 18. 
No, well, no way at all. No, you know, it's like, and you sit there and look at it and go, they were kids and they were they were rocking the boat and they were mad. And that's what that the whole film basically comes about is they were mad because things like Rodney King happened. Yeah. <laughs> and and police were pulling them over just for walking down the street. Um, In terms of the, uh, the film production, I thought it was fantastic. Mm. I mean, th- this was such a tight film. Uh, really clever shifting between styles of camera work. Yep. Uh, so we get shaky cam during action scenes and concerts and things. And then we've got a steady cam, uh, you know, when we're actually sort of focused on character and developing these these young men. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just a really, really good script as well. It all, it all came together beautifully. Yeah. Look, I had I had a ball watching this film. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was absolutely entertaining. I mean, we're we're looking at a film where I mean, I was never gr- growing up. I was always aware of the rap scene. I was aware of the NWA. I was never a huge fan. I was never never really sat there and listened to a lot of hip hop and so forth. It's really interesting. This film had a bit of an effect on me because I sat there going, yeah, I actually want to go out and buy the NWA album. Now. Yeah, and yeah. I want, want, want to listen to more of this and I want to listen to Chronic and I want to find out more about them. And I, it is, you can't, it's infectious. You get, you get absolutely caught up in that life that they're living and that music and that, that absolute, uh, it's a very, very um, in the moment life. Mm-hmm. And that's very much the lifestyle of the streets. Very much. You know? Look, there's flaws. There are some flaws. Uh, there were there's some really obvious foreshadowing of Easy E's uh, AIDS, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it was sort of the the you know the very stereotypical film awkward pause while someone coughs. You know like <laughs> that person's getting sick, and um, and there was a little bit of. Dr. Dre worship, I guess, is probably the best way to put it. Just yeah. a little bit of, you know, and as we pointed she out, isn't Dre great. <laughs> yeah, and as we pointed out, I mean, the film is executive produced by Ice Cube and Dr. And Dr. Dre. Dre. So <laughs> they, it is going to favor their side of the story a little bit. But look, despite those things, 100% recommend this to literally everyone. Uh, absolutely. I think if you are just a fan of a good drama, if you like the music style, I think if you going to it thinking it's just a hip hop biopic, that's not what this is. It is. A it's really, so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger. It's a really good film. A couple of things I wanted to bring up very quickly was that um, Paul Giamatti was really good in this film. He was. Um, he had a, a certain sliminess to him that from the first minute you meet him, you go, "Oh, you don't trust this man." There's but something. there were complexities to his character yeah. beyond that, which was really, really interesting. And, Highlighted really very much when with the final confrontation between him and Eze. Yeah, that is actually you see his frailty at that point That's because right. it all just unraveled. You know, the other thing I really like is the scene between him and Eze when Eze's been beaten uh, to try and get uh, Dre out of the contract, mm-hmm. and he goes there and says, "I just want you to know, I'm going to go kill this man." And Paul Giamatti talks him out of it, but it's the it's the it's the dialogue in that sequence where he's talking about how we don't want, I don't want you to go to jail yeah, for something that's so... And the one line that stands out is where Easy turns to him and says, why do I have to be the bigger man? You know? And it's like, that's a powerful line, you know? It it's a powerful moment. And, and then he tells him that you get to, you're going to kill that guy he doesn't have to worry about the problem anymore. But you have That's to why you have to be the bigger man yeah, because absolutely. you're going to be living in jail for it. It's that kind of, and once again, it's that coming of age. It's that growing up and understanding consequence. Um, but I think for me, the showstopper of this film, the, the moment where you almost want to stand up and cheer. The Detroit is, concert? Is in the trailer, which is that Detroit concert where they are given this lecture by the police before going in saying what they can't do. 
And there's the moment where everything- and this, this is on the back of getting a letter from the FBI. A saying, letter of the FBI. Saying if you keep performing, fuck the police. Yeah. We're going to basically deconstruct your lives. Exactly. <laughs> and I just love it. There's that moment in the film, and in the trailer you see it, but it doesn't have quite the same power because they don't have time. But in the, in the film, they're doing their concert, and then they stop. And there's that moment of silence. And then- they just kind of have a little conversation on the stage where he goes, he goes, Dre, I got something to say. <laughs> and you can see them looking at each other like, are we going to do, do this? Are we going to do this? Yeah. And then it just kicks in and you see the badges go up in the air and the police start to walk through the crowd, you know, and you go, oh man. <laughs> Look, that that was brilliant and made me want to stand up and cheer. The other moment is uh, towards the end of the film, Dre is locked into a contract that he doesn't like and he just walks straight into the office there's depravity all around him. There's big threatening men with guns. And he just says, I'm out. And they start to threaten him. And he says, no, I'm, I'm out. out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, like these guys are going on about how they're, they're keeping everything and he's fine. I don't want it. I'm yeah. out. Yeah, you I'm know? Out. And he just walks away. And you just have so much respect for him. Absolutely. Look, this is, this is a great drama. This will inevitably get mentions at the Academy Awards. For sure. Um, it's got to. It's, it is going to be sticking around for a while, and I think we're going to probably see an extended cut on Blu-ray because I'm sure there's stuff missing from this Apparently film. there's there's already talk of a, a sequel picture uh, specifically about uh, Death Row Records. Oh, okay. With Sugar and all that sort of stuff. Sugar. Yeah, Sugar. Sugar, and, and obviously then that would go into Snoop Dogg and, uh, right. and Tupac and... Yeah. Uh, yeah, excellent, excellent. Uh, th- as I say, I feel like there's some parts missing, though, because um, there are a couple moments in the film. There's actually several, but there's two that I remember off the top of my head where they will mention something and then it's forgotten about. Like, like it feels like there's a scene missing, yeah. you know? Uh, early on in the film, at one point, uh, Ice Cube has written the first song. And the guys who are going to sing it walk. And that's when they talk easy into actually singing the song. Mm-hmm. There's one point where they say, why don't you sing it? And Ice Cube says, I can't. I'm in a band. Never mentioned again. <laughs> and the next scene, he's on stage <laughs> singing with them. So I was like, you kind of go, okay. This- well, I mean, again, you know, <laughs> your big plot, hole, plot holes. There are six members of NWA. There's only three in this film. You know? <laughs> exactly. And the other one that I thought was really funny, though, and even you went, yeah, what happened there? <laughs> Jimmy Iovine is introduced. And Jimmy Iovine is a, a pretty big yeah yeah a pretty big mo pretty big character in Dre's life mm-hmm. um they're still partners today um he is introduced they say yeah I'm Jimmy Ivan he goes I'd like to come and work for you but I'm in these contracts he goes give me three weeks I'll get you out of the contract yep never, never heard said, from never again I'm again in the entire <laughs> world it's like one one little scene and I don't believe it's fan service I think there is probably something more to that so yeah look it might be it might be cuts it might yeah. be that they it might be that that you know, Dre and uh, and Ice Cube wanted to make sure that those people were in the film to be mentioned. Yeah, because yeah. Snoop Dogg is obviously a very big um, a very big component of Dre. The actor who played Snoop Dogg was so good at being. Uh, wasn't Snoop Dogg. he perfect? <laughs> he was like, yeah, man, yeah, man. <laughs> like, he, 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 you could tell that you know, like he was like. Dude, go over there, smoke a joint, then come on and act. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that he was referred to as Snoop Doggy Dog. So yeah. <laughs> it's like we go right back to the very early days. Yeah. Now, this is well worth seeing. Go pay your money, go see it at the cinema. 
I was absolutely pumped up by the time this film was finished. I actually didn't want the film to finish. No, I, was, I agree totally. It was yeah. that film feeling of tell me more. Yeah, yeah. it's like, <laughs> come on, we, I'm sure there's another concert piece of concert footage you can show me. Show me something, anything. I don't want. I don't want this to be over. So yeah, no, I really, really enjoyed it and highly recommend it. Yeah, so, this is Cinema 101. This is Cinema <laughs> Yeah, that's not a category we've ever used before. Yeah. But yeah, this is Cinema 101. This is definitely something to go, and I will be on my Blu-ray shelf when it comes out. Absolutely. So, um, all right, so we might actually give your academic question of the week a miss this week yeah, look, purely think- because I would like to have more than just the two of us Yeah, I'd like it. to hear Dave yeah. on it too. So we'll, bring, we'll come back to the academic question next week. But uh, look, I, I do want to do a little bit of uh, housekeeping with Facebook. Yep. Uh, please follow us on Facebook. Geek actually. Uh, but more importantly, people who have followed us on Facebook have uh, had things happen. So um, just recently, we asked on last week's show. We, we talked about mm-hmm. shelf porn, uh, and uh, we're starting to put up some of our stuff. Uh, I've put up a, a game shelf that I've got there, and uh, Dave's. Uh, my pictures will be up soon. Dug out his his camera today, <laughs> uh, but uh, Matt White showed us uh, not only not only his shelf porn. But uh, the time that uh, was it Channel Nine came to his house to do an article. <laughs> his man cave is phenomenal. It is wonderful. <laughs> um, and uh, we've had a couple of other people just sort of posting posting stuff there. So go onto our Facebook, uh, have a look. We talk about not just what we're doing on the show, but you know the geek news from day to day. Uh, the other thing is that we were giving away some uh, Star Trek pop finals, mm-hmm. and we have two winners. Who we're going to mention now, and uh, they need to get in contact with us. How do they do that, Dave? All right. So last week we actually said that we were going to pick two people who liked the page at random. They didn't have to necessarily be new people. They were just two people at random off the page. Uh, And Uh, in Australia. And in Australia because there were a couple we chose, but they lived overseas. We couldn't do it. Uh, Reason why, by the way, just to let you people know, it costs as much to send a pop vinyl to the States as it does to buy one. (laughs) So, So you might as well just buy it over there. Anyway, so the point is we pick two at random, and what you need to do if your name if you are one of these two people, you need to email me at feedback at geekactually.com with your mailing address and I will send you the pop vinyl that you have won. So the, the, Facebook doesn't tell me who, where you are. So, just. so the winner who is number one. <laughs> <laughs> the winner who has actually taken away our Picard pop vinyl is Rochelle. Uh, now I'm going to massacre this last name. Schlofeld? Schlofeld. Looks- Schlofeld. Yeah. Um, so Rochelle Schlofeld, if you are listening to the show, um, what we want you to do is as soon as this show is out, so basically the winners that we announced today have two weeks from the date that this episode is published to respond. If you don't respond, we will draw another name. Okay. So you've got two weeks from the date that this episode drops to send me an email at feedback at geekactually.com with your mailing address and I will send you the Picard pop vinyl. Mm-hmm. So that's Rochelle. And second place? Uh, the second place for... Uh, a pop vinyl of data is Michael uh, Flavel. Flavel? Yeah, Flavel. Flavel. Yeah, uh, Michael Flavel. Once again, same thing. Send me your mailing address at feedback at geekactually.com and we will send you data. And uh, we'll we'll post on the Geek Actually Facebook just to, to remind and, them. Just to remind these people. But uh, yeah, you guys, well done. You've won yourself some stuff. Excellent. Um. Otherwise, I, I think that's pretty much a show. It is pretty much a show. Look, uh, the rest, yeah, can wait until we've got Dave because I think he'll be interested in no it. No problem at all. So, look, after, I mean, how do we follow straight out of Compton anyway? I mean, realistically, it's, uh, it is what it is. If you agree or disagree with us about this, if you have seen Straight Out of Compton, want to hear make your opinions heard about Straight Out of Compton, feedback We're- at geekactually.com or on facebook.com forward slash geekactually. 
Drop us your opinions on it. Let we us. We would know what love you think. to hear them. Absolutely, I'd like to know what everybody thought of this film because it is actually, at the moment, one of my favorite films of the year. I think so. It's, oh, uh, it's definitely. Yeah, it's up there. It's up there as I, I don't necessarily. We've always got to clarify this with people. Not necessarily the greatest film of the year. One of my favorite films of Look, the year. Look, I'm going to give it surprise hit of the year. Yes, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. And I think a lot of, it took a lot of people off guard because it's making a lot of money. I wasn't so. expecting to love this film as much as I did. No, I thought it's a biopic, it's hip hop, whatever. Mm. No, this is a great film. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm going to go see the film again because I just, I love this film. It's terrific. By the way, uh, speaking of films I want to see again, I just noticed that there is a early digital release of Ex Machina on... Um, iTunes. I was really hoping you'd say Hitman. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so no, X Machina hasn't come out in Blu-ray yet, but uh, they've been doing this early release on iTunes. Yeah. So if you really want to see it or you haven't seen it or you really want to see it again, you can actually purchase it now. So I think it's about $25 or something like that. I'll wait for Blu-ray personally. Yeah, but look, I, I didn't get to see X Machina, but I am really interested when it comes to Blu-ray. also one of my favorite films of the year. Yeah. Uh, it's a terrific film. Uh, very different kind of film. But anyway, I think that's it for this week. Next week, we will be seeing uh, American Ultra. Mm-hmm. That's what it's called. Yeah, that's American, what it's American called. Ultra, yeah, Jesse um, Eisenberg. Now we're a week we're a week late on that one, but uh, we were looking at the schedules. And next week at the cinema, the big hit that is coming out next week is uh, Blinky Bill. So uh, <laughs> and look and <laughs> Pixels, and I will be. My son is really hyped. Wait, Blinky Bill, Pixels, uh, probably about the same. My thing. son, <laughs> my son is really hyped for Pixels, so I'm going to take him to see it, and I will bring some feedback for well, you. Well, and Pixels can be in your what you've been reading, sure. <laughs> what you've been reading and watching section. <laughs> our film that we'll actually talk about as our review will actually be American, American Ultra. Ultra because it's got Lex Luthor in it. So yeah. it's got Lex Luthor and Bella. Come on, yeah, look, at, I've I've <laughs> already heard some good things about it. And interestingly enough, I was sh- uh, shared with me on Facebook today by our listener Mario Tot, who said that it's actually received some incredibly bad reviews as well. Oh, so interesting. It's going to be a really polarizing film, I think, which makes it good fodder for us. So yeah. uh, anything that's good. Now we would normally finish this show with the Geek Actually theme. But we're not going to finish the show with the Geek Actually theme today because we just did Straight Outta Compton and I cannot help but play more more uh, NWA. So we are going to go out with Straight Outta Compton because that is that is the song of the day, really. Or in this case, Straight Outta Geek Actually. Straight Outta <laughs> Geek Actually. So we're going to say goodbye. Jamie, people can find you where? People can find me on Facebook, look up Good Games Hurstville or Twitter uh, at GG Hurstville. Uh, or various other places around the net, just Google me. Fantastic. <laughs> you can find me, of course, on Twitter at David McVeigh, uh, or on Twitter at Geek Actually, or at geekactually.com, or on facebook.com forward slash Geek Actually. <laughs> I'm all over the place, and I don't hide at all. So you can always find me. Uh, you can also listen to some of our other great shows. We've got Nerd Corner. We've got Podcast Pillow Fort. Soon we'll have panels back again because of the, the Comic-Con show. Live show coming, coming up. up. Live show at Comic-Con coming up, and we'll start to promote that heavily coming up soon on this show. Uh, next week, we should have Dave back and American Ultra as the review. Until then, geek on everybody. We'll see you all next week. Have fun.